Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Welcome to episode 89. Before we get into it, just wanted to do a quick plug that this upcoming Sunday, we're going to be dropping yet another one in our latest series, The Rad Rap, where we are going to radically rap not Your Final Girl 2023. It is a series that is curated at our favorite place in the world, Metro Cinema. It happens every year, and it's curated by the lovely Nicole Boychuk. And, oh, what's this? We actually got Nicole to come and sit down with us and debrief about her experience with the series in the past and unpacking her thoughts and feelings about the films from this year and just what are some overall takeaways from the three of us from seeing the series this year. Very excited for that. Look out for it. Dropping this Sunday. Get into it. Let's get into this macaroons we watched this week. Hey, the first one is um, a really big deal to me and to probably nobody else. <laughs> and there's a story behind it. But first, I will let you know what the movie is. So I picked the 2002 horror mystery thriller, My Little Eye. It was directed by Mark Evans and written by David Hilton and James Watkins. It stars Sean C.W. Johnson as Matt, Chris Lemke as Rex, Stephen O'Reilly as Danny, Laura Reagan as Emma, Jennifer Skye as Charlie, and what's this? Bradley Cooper as yeah. Travis? What are you doing here? Synopsis. Five people are offered $1 million to, pe- to pen. Five people are offered $1 million to spend six months together in an isolated mansion with cameras watching their every move. What did you think of My Little Eye? It was such a long journey to us watching this movie. When we first started dating, you had brought this movie up and regarded it as one of the scariest movies you've ever seen. I mean, I don't I don't know about that, but a formative horror movie in my life. Maybe because we struggled so long to get our hands on it that maybe I just built it up in my head as, oh, this must be really scary because it's so hard to find. <laughs> But, yeah, this is real underground. Yeah, but like we we would always 
there was a period they would always check whenever we went to a place where you could buy DVDs if it was there and we could never find it in our almost 14 years of being together. We haven't been able to find this. And it was one of those things where, so this movie, I'm really curious and, you know, maybe I'll ask my students this on, uh, on Monday, but I think there was a special thing about being a younger person when video rental stores existed because I'd watch movies that probably nobody else really cared about that just happened to be on the shelves at Blockbuster or video headquarters because the cover interested me or because it was in stock when another movie that I wanted to watch wasn't um, or because I was getting seven movies for $7. And this was a movie like that where I, I rented it one day. I really liked it. And I would just go back and rent it always because for a long time we didn't really have a, a place in Leduc where we grew up where we could buy movies and especially not anything like eventually we had a Walmart, but it only had like the latest releases and my parents weren't always interested in like driving me to the city, driving me to Edmonton so I could pick up a horror movie. So I would just rent this movie often. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was a really common thing where you would have a movie you liked and maybe you just wouldn't buy it, but you would rent it more than once. Mm-hmm. And I, I just never thought to pick it up. And then by the time Blockbuster didn't exist anymore, um, I couldn't find it. It yeah. was gone. And it's not available to rent on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We've never been able, we can't even find it on like Amazon, which we try not to buy from, but we were like desperate times. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find a copy of it anywhere. And I was like, I guess I'll just never get to see this movie again that I really liked when I was like 12, 13. And then first time we ever walk into, we've talked about it, the video rental store in Edmonton, the last video rental store in Edmonton. And if you listen to our rad rap on uh, Northwest Fear Fest that came out last Sunday, which you should, Mm -hmm. um, then you know a little bit about this video store called The Lobby. We've talked about it before on the show. It was our first time going there despite having intentions to for years. Yeah. Um, It's been around for almost 20 years. (laughs) This is our first time taking a step in. We walk in. First of all, we run into a friend as soon as we step in, which is fun. And then we just start browsing. We start looking. And within five minutes of being in there, you had a copy of My Little Eye in your hand. I I couldn't believe it. And it was like facing out. Like it was kind of on display. Yeah. Most of the films in the lobby are all horizontally stacked yeah so you really have to focus in on all of the titles but yeah this was kind of a a a capper and the cover was facing outward and i feel like i was at a loss for words i'm like (laughs) (laughs) and then we quickly found out that almost every movie at the lobby you can either rent or buy it so it's like you could rent it for five bucks or you could buy it for 10. And I was like, I'm never letting this out of my sight again. And you got burned by like renting it over and over again. Yeah, I'm not doing that here. Yeah. So I so we bought it and it was in really good condition. What was It was awesome because when we bought it, I said to, to Kevin, who's the owner of the lobby, um, I said, I'm sure this is a terrible movie, but and he's so knowledgeable. He like knew what it was. And he's like, I remember liking it. And he's like, it was a long time ago, but I liked it. And that made me feel a little bit more validated. And mm-hmm. and then we had it. And it's kind of just been sitting on the shelf waiting for the right moment. And I was like, this is my last mystery pick before October 31st. So I'm going to pick it. I want to just say, too, like, I feel like that is such a testament to the kind of person that 
Kevin is because he knows running a video store that is primarily focused on horror and horror adjacent genres that everybody has their weird thing that they like and that there's no judgment when you go in there because he stocks the stuff for all of those different people. And so saying like, oh, I know this is weird or this is stupid or whatever. He's really respectful and can even jam with you about it and has knowledge about it in some capacity or another. Even if it's not necessarily his favorite thing, he's made an effort to be knowledgeable about many things. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about like what I loved about this movie when I was a, a young person. First of all, I saw, so Laura Reagan who plays Emma in this, and I would say like her and Chris Lemke who plays Rex are kind of like the, the biggest characters. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in a movie called they, which is kind of playing in like a Canadianized J horror kind of thing. Like it's, it's kind of got that cold tone and she's being haunted and people don't believe her. And it's got a terrible rating on Letterboxd, but I really liked it. And I kind of, I guess at the time, again, that weird thing of being a teen and you see something and you just assume it's a big deal. Mm. I like thought that she was like a big scream queen. Like I thought that she was in all of these things. And then I think that's one of the reasons I picked this up is because she was also in this. And then I just became obsessed with it. I was really early in my horror journey and really early in like watching horror on my own. Like this was something that I just watched by myself in my bedroom Hmm. Um, again and again and again. And is it the best movie ever made? No, but there's a lot of elements in it that are in some of my favorite horror movies that have ever been made Mm -hmm. that I saw for the first time in this. Now they weren't doing it for the first time, but it was the first time I was seeing it. So you know, the whole thing is done as if it's on webcams. Yeah. And they, you know, to their credit, it never breaks from that. Yeah. And I I think I thought that was really cool. So, you know, this is post Blair Witch Project, but I hadn't yet seen the Blair Witch Project. Um, There's a twist in it that is like the kind of twist that really disturbs me, which I won't specifically say what it is, but it was the first time I had seen that in a film Um, I love an ensemble cast. You know, there was just a lot going on in it that in subsequent, my subsequent horror journey, I would realize are things that I love that I saw for the first time in this and they blew my mind. Now it's just being derivative of other things, but I didn't know that because I hadn't seen those other things. Right. Yeah. And I do think it's doing like some things like I think the web camera stuff is done quite well. Mm -hmm. And then I just loved it. Like I, my Nexopia page was just like (laughs) in my like, I learned HTML coding for my Neopets page and then used it on my Nexopia page. It just had so many like stills and gifts from this movie, including like this one of Rex playing with a bullet in his mouth that I thought was like the sexiest thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it just was, it was formative for me, even if it's not the best movie ever made. And it just has this like really special place in my heart. Did you like it at all? I did. Yeah. And I can totally see why, this would have been scary for a younger Kylie who had not seen a lot of other films that preceded this. And it is, it is creepy and it's cashing in on our, our being society's obsession with reality TV at the time and with the internet being so new and it, it, the internet coming in 
and becoming such an accessible thing, but also how the, the, the internet also has a dark side to it. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is one of the reasons that I, I was particularly obsessed with this is I loved big brother Mm -hmm. and around the time that this came out, big brother was like finding ways to make more money by people being allowed to subscribe to a 24 seven live stream of what was happening in the house. Mm -hmm. And I think around the time this came out, my dad paid for me to have that, (laughs) which like, you know, I'm 12, 13, it's summer. I have nothing better to do. I would just obsessively watch the, like he only did it for one year. And then my mom was like, you can't no, like she can't just sit on the computer and like watch people, (laughs) watch people in hammocks. Like it's just not, (laughs) and it's too expensive. Um, but yeah, it's like that the the dark side of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's playing in a realm of something else that I'm really interested in. Like I, I for a long time, Big Brother was one of my favorite shows, and then one of our favorite shows. But we've since dropped off the Big Brother train. But it it was very of the time. Oh yeah, this feels so firmly rooted in a very specific time in our lives. Growing up, seeing all of this stuff around us. And while I hadn't seen the Blair Witch Project, I was aware of it and the kinds of movies that were coming immediately after it. I also think that there's probably something that adds to the creep factor that this came out the year after 9-11. So there's probably just something about security and... And surveillance. And Yeah, that's exactly it. And it does have a bit of like a found footage feel to it. I love found footage. Yeah. Me too. And, you know, I have to say, it's a scary thing to revisit a film you loved when you were really young that you, like, objectively know is not going to be amazing because if it was, it wouldn't be so hard to find. Especially if it's from the Audis. We've had a lot of tough goes with films from the Audis that we like. So I will say, it's, like, shockingly inoffensive for when it came out. Like, Mm -hmm. there's some, there's the odd moment that isn't perfect, but, like, for the most part, there wasn't anything in here that had me like cringing. I think the only thing that was the most offensive was Bradley Cooper showing up. Yeah, and then he has some like gross sex that's like I really don't like graphic, I really don't like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I don't think you're supposed to like that character he plays. So he's really good at just like looking like an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what he's supposed to do in this. It's funny though cuz like I don't think you knew he was in it. No. And I did know, but I'd forgotten. And like, obviously, when I saw this, when it came out in 2002, I didn't know who Bradley Cooper was. There's a reason he's in this. He wasn't famous yet. Mm -hmm. Just shows up out of nowhere. I'm sure there's many people who have watched this movie because they're Bradley Cooper fans and they're like trying to make it through his whole filmography, which makes me laugh because he's barely in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It also was filmed in Nova Scotia, which is fun. And uh laura reagan who plays emma is from nova scotia like there's a lot of canadian folks in this Mm. and some of these people have gone on to do some interesting things so james james watkins who is one of the writers on it he wrote the shut up and dance episode of black mirror which is like one of my least favorite episodes of black (laughs) mirror it mostly because it makes me feel really really icky Mm -hmm. other people like like it he also wrote and directed the movie eden lake Mm. which we haven't seen, but I've heard is like one of the most mean spirited horror movies that like exists. I do want to see it, but I hear it's really intense. So interesting. Like some of these folks have, I mean, one of these folks has gone on to do some, a couple other successful things. And I guess originally there was a four, this was a four hour movie. Heavens. Audiences didn't like it. (laughs) No doubt. 
who would feels a little long at like 98 minutes or whatever it is. Um, but maybe not for people who subscribe to big brother live feeds. In some ways it makes sense to do that. Right. And I think there's a version of this film. I couldn't quite figure out how to get it to work on the DVD where you can like hear the people who are watching them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's an interesting conceit. And so I wonder if that four hour version, I couldn't really find much information about it. If it was like kind of had both of those things going on in it. I can see it doing like kind of what Skinnamarink does in that it just spends a lot of extra time immersing you in like the, mundane, the vibes yeah. and showing more of, yeah, the mundane uninteresting bits to just really get you into the mindset of See, somebody that would be watching the this. smart way to do that from a marketing perspective would have been to have this like edited version released in theaters, which it was, um, and then have a version like that that you pay to watch online as if you're paying to watch like Big Brother live feeds and like the person who's watching themselves can click between different things, like can switch what the camera is. So like actually have multiple ways of watching the film and like you kind of get to choose who you're focused on. I think that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that'd be really cool. According to IMDb though, I just love the language on this. It was a, it was a received lukewarm at first <laughs> and then it became a quote sleeper hit. So, you know, I don't think I'm the only person who likes this movie. In the end, is it the best movie ever made? No. Am I like, yeah, I understand why I liked this. Hmm. Yes. And I'm glad that I got to finally show it to you, even if we're not going to watch it like all the time. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's not the best thing ever, but I, I still feel like it's actually pretty solid. I can't believe just the stars aligning and us finding it on our first trip to the lobby. And what great timing that this upcoming Saturday after this episode drops is our 14 year anniversary. So like what a great way to bring it in by like talking, talking about this movie we've been talking about for so long. So great. Pretty fun. How did my little eye make you feel? Creeped out and stoked to just finally see it. <laughs> How did it make you feel? It made me feel glad that this teenage favorite isn't as bad as I thought it would be and very grateful to finally have a copy of it. Yeah. Long time coming. So great. Interestingly, the only horror movie we watched this week. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, We've been busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, going to some events, going to Halloween parties, doing that kind of stuff. So where'd you take us next? That wasn't horror at all. Yeah. So for my mystery movie pick, I chose the 2006 drama Old Joy. It was written and directed by Kelly Reichardt and also written by Jonathan Raymond. And it stars Daniel London as Mark, Will Oldham as Kurt, Tanya Smith as Tanya, and Carrie Morin as Lawnmower. What? Yep. Lawnmower? <laughs> somebody that is mowing a lawn. Okay. Oh, like a lawnmower. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. I, I thought that was <laughs> um, Synopsis. Two old pals reunite for a camping trip in Oregon's Cascade Mountains. All right. We've covered quite a bit of... Kelly Reichardt stuff. We're continuing our Reichardt journey. What'd you think of Old Joy? This was funny because it took a little while for the title card to show up. And I didn't really recognize the actors. And I'm like, what did you pick? And I was like, have I heard of it? And you said, yes. Is this another sleeper hit? <laughs> <laughs> did this get a lukewarm reception only to become a sleeper hit? Um, and I was like... Okay, the vibes, trying to figure out the vibes. If I can't figure out the name of the film, can I figure out who made it? And then 
we learned that a dog's name is Lucy. And I was like, oh, is this a Kelly Reichardt film? <laughs> and indeed it was. Um, I just want to clarify that Kelly Reichardt wrote the screenplay, but it's based on the book by Jonathan Raymond. Oh. And she does that a lot. Like a lot of her work is based on writing, mm-hmm. which is, I find it so interesting. The directors that like tend towards like having a writer, a specific screenwriter that they work with, but they don't write their own scripts. Like Tim Burton doesn't tend to write. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, even though like his films have such a clear sensibility of himself in them, or at least his earlier films did. And then people who like, they like to adapt something that's already existed, but they like to write the screenplay for it. And then folks who like to write their own screenplays or have a writing partner. I just find that really interesting. And a lot of Kelly Reichert's work is adapted from like a short story or a novel that she then works with the person who wrote the original text to adapt it to the film. And I so, so subscribe to that. Like that's kind of how me as a creative person likes to operate is I like to work from other people's stuff or with other people and then help establish how it's executed. And I feel like filmmakers like Tim Burton, like Kelly Reichardt, they have such a sense of style in their films. Like you, like you said, the title card did come up for a long ass time and you're like, this seems like a Kelly Reichardt mm-hmm. movie. You can tell what a Tim Burton movie feels like. I'm trying to think of other filmmakers that are like that too, that have just like a sense of style and don't necessarily write their own things. That's it. It's just Tim Burton and Kelly Reichardt. <laughs> Kelly yeah. Reichardt does write her own things. But. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I think those are the only two filmmakers that have ever existed. Actually. I think you're right. Kubrick is another one. <laughs> There's a third. There's a um, third. The, something else that was perfect about this movie is that it needed to, f- we needed to fit in something because you, I think you're a parent teacher interviews or you were doing something. I can't remember, but we needed something nice, short and sweet. This is a, this is a tight 73 minutes. And it's so interesting as Kelly Reichert's part of the like slow cinema movement. And even though it's 76 minutes, it does, it does feel slow. Mm-hmm. Like you're very much just watching. It's primarily just the characters of Mark and Kurt, like on a little camping trip together. Um, and this really felt like such a beautiful, true depiction of what friendship can be. I think my friendships tend to be a little bit more verbal. Um, but I was like, is this, is, what, is this what boy friendships are like? <laughs> is this what boys do when they hang out? When uh, when we got to the credits, like you said, it's just kind of this this dip in, dip out. And it felt less like a slice of life movie and more of like a sliver of life movie. Mm-hmm. Like we're just dipping in for a weekend with these two guys and then we're out. And... I just felt like this exploration of two friends at very different places in their in their lives. I just felt such a sense of longing from each of them for different things. And it it did such a beautiful job of showing how people grow apart, lose touch or lose focus and that their passions or their shared interests may not be enough to hold them together anymore. Um or those passions or interests that that might be the last thread possibly between them. And it didn't, it didn't go full gut, like gutting me or anything emotionally. It's a lot more subtle than that, but there are some like very heartbreaking things that are kind of happening in between the words in this. I found. Yeah. We, we watched this on criterion channel and 
there was quite a few interviews. There was an interview, I think, with the writer of the book. I think there was one with Kelly Reichert. I think there was one with the two actors, but we didn't have time to watch all of those. So what did we watch? We watched the four minute one with Patton Oswalt, (laughs) who we had just watched in an episode of What We Do in the Shadows, which is funny. Um, And he's a big fan of this film, I guess. Like he's not involved in making it at all, but he likes it. Mm -hmm. And he spoke about like his own understanding of the film as being about like friendships that have kind of grown. These people have grown in different directions and they want different things out of the friendship or like they have different abilities to engage in the friendship and like his own, he saw him, he says he sees himself as more of the mark in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I I really enjoyed what he said about it. And then there's a Canadian writer who I really like. Her name is Sunny Yee. And she, she's a really, really beautiful collection of like poetic prose called, I think it's called, how do I look? Um, it's called How Do I Look? It is one of my favorite pieces of writing ever. And she does a lot of like film review work, but in this like poetic way. Mm. Um, and she posts some of that work that she does on her letterboxd. And I wanted to read her review of this film. Um, she doesn't review it as so much like write something poetic about it. Such a cool use of a letterboxd. Yeah. And she and her um, her book, How Do I How Do I Look Now? or how do I look is uh, it has some of these in it as well. So her review for old joy is quote, I wasn't prepared for how much it ached to rewatch this as my friends and I all grow older, closer and further apart in various ways. Sometimes I'm scared of being left behind. Sometimes I'm scared of leaving others behind. And often I'm scared of not realizing when both of these things are happening. Yeah. I feel like I know I've experienced things like that. Like, friendships just kind of drifting as your lives take different paths. And there's no real reason. There was no falling out. Yeah. And sometimes the attempts to rekindle anything, like it's just, we're, we're kind of too different now. And that can be a, that can be a tough, challenging thing. That was really beautiful. Yeah. I I really, Sunny's writing is really lovely and I highly encourage people to seek it out. Um, And I think what, both Pat and Oswald talking about the film and, and what Sunny wrote about it just reaffirm what I felt, which is that like Kelly Reichert has such a quiet trust in her audience that like, like you said, it's, you said so beautifully, it's just a sliver of life. You're just on this trip with these people. There's no, there's no plot diagram in this. There's no initial incident, rising action, climax, falling action resolution. It's just watching these people and, and, feeling whatever we feel from it. I won't say it's my favorite of her films, but I, I really liked it. I thought it was really, really beautiful. Um, I want to go to that spa. Yeah. It was great. And I was trying to figure out what I knew Will Oldham, who plays Kurt from. He's the guy who goes on that like tangent at the house party in a ghost story. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. Which, yeah, checks out. <laughs> um. When you said that Kelly Reichardt quietly trusts her audience, the first image that came into my head is just Kelly Reichardt quietly tucking me into bed and just being like, just giving me a kiss on the forehead and just being like, I got you. <laughs> Good night. Um, yeah, like this is still, this still has tons of the signature Kelly Reichardt beauty shots of nature and landscapes. And she has such a connection with nature and animals. and this place. Yeah. Um, another thing that 
Patton Oswalt took time to speak about, which was also a big highlight for me while watching the movie, was the soundtrack by Yola Tango. It was the perfect complement to the whole film. And what I really noticed when I was watching is that the music is mostly present during traveling Mm. or in kind of transitional scenes of when our characters are going somewhere. And it just so evokes the the comfort of the radio being on during long road trips to fill the gaps and the silences between conversations and can almost become reflective. Well, I feel like Kelly Reichardt is one of those filmmakers. We haven't watched any of her films twice yet, but I feel like they are films you'll get so much more out of on a second watch. And something that I noticed as soon as the movie was ending that they listen to music when they're in the car together, but Mark listens to the radio like when he's in new, the car alone. Yeah, like news, talk radio stuff. Yeah, so that was that was just a really interesting aspect of the film. Um, and it's and what was interesting about those pieces too, it's about like state of the world, really negative. The shit that is not fun to listen to, the stuff that we're surrounded by now is just the world is on fire and it, everything sucks. And that's what he chooses to listen to when he's not with this friend who it seems is actually brings brings out a part of himself that is a is a bright spot that he doesn't necessarily have anymore because they are drifting apart. An interesting fact about this film, which I feel like is going to blow your mind, is that Kelly Reichardt didn't have the money to make this and she wanted to make it. So she worked on a season of America's Next Top Model to fund it. <laughs> Amazing. Can you imagine Kelly Reichert as a director on America's Next Top Model? I think that's great. I, I just think like, <laughs> just like using the system to be like, yeah, I'll fucking do it because I need the money to make the thing one for you, one for me kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she continued to work with America's Next Top Model, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought that was such a fascinating example of like, you know, what what a person can and will do to like get their art. She was still working in like the medium of film and television to get the funding to do the things she really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Go Kelly Record. That's awesome. what a hero. Yeah. This film was just so beautiful and reflective and calm and thoughtful. And Kelly Reichardt continues to be one of my favorite filmmakers. And I really love that she especially loves telling stories about male friendships and connections. I think that's such a beautiful focal point that she's chosen to highlight in a few of her films that we've seen. And it's nice to see. I feel like we so, by the very nature of the fact that men have been able to get films made in a way that, especially white men have been able to get films made in a way that other folks haven't been able to. We've seen so many depictions of like men's thoughts on women Mm -hmm. and like, women protagonists and women friendship. And and I like getting to see Kelly Reichert explore male friendship. And, you know, I think, um, Oh, I can't remember his name, but the guy from umbrella Academy who's in first cow. Like I think, Oh, um, John, John Majaro. Yeah. Maybe the guy who's in past lives. lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that she explores his character and the friendship that he has and the, the connection relationship business and otherwise with, um, the other character in First Cow, which all the names are escaping me right now, is is really beautiful. And I, I agree with you. I, I like to see how she explores that. But then she also does really beautiful work with like 
women characters in okay, certain intro- women and introduced us to Lily Gladstone. Exactly. She made me fall in love with Michelle Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah, Wendy and Lucy. Yeah, she's a she's a good one. Yeah. I I I really like her and I'll go see anything new that she chooses to put up. How did Old Joy make you feel? It made me feel a tender reflection on friendships past and present. How did it make you feel? Made me feel an old joy. No, just kidding. <laughs> um it just made me feel like Kelly Reichardt firmly knows how to capture my heart and make me reflect on stuff and things. We got to cross a movie off of our list that's been on there for a very long time um, in a very special way at a like nearly sold out screening of a 35 millimeter print of the animated drama fantasy Paprika. It came out in 2006. It was the final feature film of director Satoshi Kon. It was written by him and Seishi Minakami, and it's based on the book by Yasutaka Tsutsui. It stars Megumi Hayashibara as Atsuko Chiba and Paprika, Toru Furuya as Kasaku Tokita, and Akio Otsuka as Toshimi Konakawa. There are other voices in there, but those were kind of the ones that I, I was drawn to the most in the film. Um, synopsis for Paprika is when a machine that allows therapists to enter their patient's dreams is stolen, all hell breaks loose. Only a young female therapist, Paprika, can stop it. What did you think of Paprika? I was very excited to see this and also very excited that Metro was showing it in 35 millimeter. Whenever they do events like this, I think it's always so special. And it was awesome to see the audience be so full. We saw it with a bunch of buds. We ended up sitting with a bunch of people that we weren't expecting to go with, but we had a full row, couple rows of people that we knew. And for being a packed house, sometimes that can be a recipe for disaster, but it was such a good crowd. Oh yeah. People were just locked in and it was interesting because it was in conjunction with a film class. So there was folks there who were watching it. I don't think I knew that. That's cool. I did tell you as we were driving there, but you forget things. Driving, you know. You know. Um, So it was screened in partnership with the University of Alberta class that's instructed by Dr. William Carroll called Anime Process, History, and Aesthetics. There's a class for everything. There is. Um, And the 35mm print came from the TIFF film reference library. So cool. It was like a, a really interesting thing because I, I heard some people who were waiting in line because there was a bit of a lineup for this being like, oh, are you here for class? Um, so <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I, I'm assuming, I don't actually know that folks who were there for class didn't have to pay. Probably. Um, and actually one, one of my former students was there as part of the class. Oh, cool. Because uh, they tagged in the review for class, <laughs> which is, which is really cool. Um, so I just, I love that. I think that's such an interesting way for a film to end up in this theater. Um, and everybody was just so locked in and it was such a great crowd. Um, and it was something that I've been wanting to see for so long. And I think this was a perfect way to see it. Absolutely. And so for Satoshi Khan, we've only seen Perfect Blue. We mm-hmm. covered it on the show previously but I know that he's a beloved name in anime. I mean, if this doesn't get you interested, the poster 
tagline is this is your brain on anime (laughs) (laughs) which like honestly yeah this movie is just wild like it perfect blue is is already playing in that dream reality you know sandbox that like somebody like david lynch plays in in a way that i really like and this does that but then like plugs it through like something like the matrix or everything everywhere all at once where it's just like yeah hitting you with so much visual and thematic information at the same time it's like dream logic maximalism yes that is it dream logic maximalism is the best way to describe that i mean i think perfect blue doesn't have that same maximalist sen- uh not sentiment sensibility sensibility that's the word i'm looking for um and i love that he's that like satoshi khan was looking at these themes through the medium of anime and and film um but in these different kinds of volumes yeah and has such a lock on being able to dial it up or dial it down but you and i were suckers for dream and dream logic shit like it's just so our jam when it's done well, it can be so compelling. And dream shit can both scare me and delight me. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes at the in the same moment, we're like, oh yeah. A split second changes it from something, which is what happens in our dreams, mm-hmm. right? Like everything's fun until all of a sudden it's not. And I think this film does it so well. There's this repeating sequence that like clues the audience into that, oh, we're in a dream. This isn't reality. And there's nothing like objectively scary about it. Mm -hmm. And yet it just like kind of shook me to my core. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, it's fucking gorgeous. It's it's amazing. And I was kind of thinking about this and I heard a couple people talking about this previously, but I was I'm I'm in the middle right now of playing Marvel Spider-Man 2 for the PlayStation 5 and I fucking love the first one and I love the Miles Morales game. And this one's just dialing it up to 11 and it's so fun. Anyway, I digress. I've just been thinking about the fact that we will never get a Spider-Man movie as good as this game because you can't make a 25 hour Spider-Man movie. You can't afford to do the kind of stunts and set pieces that exist in this. And that is, that is the same for any animated movie. And that's why I so love the medium of animation and anime because you can just do wild shit and ambitious stuff that you can never achieve in live action without spending millions and millions of dollars or getting approvals from people and whatever it may be. I just love that your imagination can kind of run rampant and you can have so much fun and do things that are larger than life. And bring yeah. and bring me into an emotional story on top of it all. I mean, there are plans to turn this into a live action film. Good luck to whoever has that task. I think it was um David Lynch. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think that David Lynch is interested in this kind of maximalism. <laughs> no. Um, even though I think it's definitely The Daniels could do it, <laughs> but they've already kind of done it. They've already kind of, it's a very different film, but um, I guess originally in 2009, it was going to be done by Wolfgang Peterson, who did the never ending story, um, which I love. That's why I got so excited. I there. can see him bringing in the heart that exists in this movie. He's no longer doing it, though. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so as of right now, it's going to be directed by um, the filmmaker Kathy Yan, um, who did Birds of Prey. Okay, didn't see it. But she's an Asian-American woman, mm-hmm. and I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and she made a movie called Dead Pigs, which that sounds great. That sounds so punk rock. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I would go see it. And I and I wish I wish everyone luck because I don't know that this needs to be a live action film. I I, I think I like the idea more of um making a live action film that's homaging it or mm-hmm. or very clearly like inspired by it. Although I don't want to talk about this too much, but people like with Perfect Blue, where people say that um, some of the stuff in it was ripped off. By Darren Aronofsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think that Christopher Nolan ripped off Paprika with Inception. Mm. Um, I have a great quote from film reviewer Stephen Boone who said, quote, Khan confronts tormented society with visual poetry, not just a remix of tropes and set pieces. Paprika goes deep where Inception just talks of depth and darkness, but as a screen experience sticks with glib pyrotechnics. <laughs> I haven't seen Inception <laughs> in forever and we definitely don't love Chrissy no no but um yeah I don't want to spend too much time talking about that aspect of it (laughs) although people have lots of thoughts about how they feel that it was ripped off without credit yeah um which is very to me it seems very clear that that happened with Aronofsky although he's Definitely said he's been inspired by Satoshi Khan's films. But mm-hmm. the film itself, just like such a visual delight, bang in score. Yeah, we one of the people that we saw this movie with was our buddy Sylvia. And she teed up the soundtrack and, as being amazing. And she wasn't lying. It is excellent. I've been listening to it every day since we saw this. There's a few pieces really? on it. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> a few tracks on it that I'm just like, damn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pump me up. There's aspects of this too that kind of shot me back to Batman the Animated Series that I watched growing up because that is very anime style and there's just some expressions and beats that kind of shot me back to that because there is some dream stuff with some of the villains in Batman the Animated Series that just kind of put me back in that in that little kid place. So even though I hadn't seen Paprika before, I kind of felt like a little kid watching it for the first time. And that brought me a lot of joy. I love that. That's kind of (laughs) cute. I I so, and I also want to say like, I just so love and admire people that are all in on anime. Like we have a few of those people in our lives, notably my buddy Cosette that I work with. Like she just absolutely loves anime. Like that's probably the primary thing that she consumes in terms of media and there's so much of it out there and there's so many good stories yet to explore. And we haven't watched a ton of anime films that we've covered on the show. But every time we watch one, I'm, I'm, I'm always just kind of blown away with the the storytelling, the medium, the visuals. Everything about it is just so new and fresh to me. And it's fun to kind of start delving deeper into that world with some of these, the bigger films that have come out of the anime scene. Yeah, this was as I was reading about this, um, the animated animation director and character designer for this is named Masashi Ando, and he was also the animation director for Princess Mononoke Spirited Away, 
and a film I want to see, but we haven't seen called Your Name. But even just thinking Spirited Away, I see a real similar sensibility yeah. um, in it. And I think the more anime we watch, the more I realize that and and rightly realize that within the medium, there's very different styles. There's very different um, ways of filming. Like this film has such a cinematic sensibility. Like it feels like it was filmed, but it is animated. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Um, so dazzling in, in color and quantity. And I, I love the thematics of it. Like, uh, uh, there's a quote I found on, on Wikipedia in my first place. I always go, uh, that says quote for con fiction and reality are not opposing concepts, but both are homogenous in the sense that they are both painted things. And that's something he would say mm. that both fiction and reality are painted things. And the only thing that separates the two is quote, what is drawn there. Mm. And I, I'm, this is one that I just feel is such a one to watch again. Yeah, I tried searching. I don't think a 4K version of this exists. It is on Blu-ray, but I think watching it at home with that high fidelity would be a... Like, I'm grateful we saw it in 35mm for the first time, but I bet you just... The colors would be so much more vivid and the sound would just be so more, so much more immersive watching it in high definition at home. So I'm looking forward seeing to seeing it on a big again. screen with some of those images like so Incredible. large was, was so wild. Absolutely. Uh, last little piece of trivia, which is really cute, is uh, there's this website that um, the detective character keeps going to. And in that website, when he kind of enters it, there's two bartenders, one tall and one short. And they were voiced by Satoshi Khan, the director, and then the original author of the novel. Oh, so I think fun. that's such a cute little Easter egg. I really like that. That's really fun. <laughs> I love that a lot. Yeah, I really, really, really liked this movie. I think I'll only like it more mm-hmm. on revisiting it. And it's just such an experience. And seeing it the way we did was so special. How did Paprika make you feel? Mind melted and totally enthralled. How did it make you feel? Made me feel dazzled by the visual and thematic abundance. It's just... maximalism perfection yeah okay final film of the week we went back out to metro to see the 1999 comedy drama romance but i'm a cheerleader it was directed by jamie babbitt as well as written by jamie babbitt uh and brian peterson it stars natasha leone as megan clea duvall as graham Michelle Williams, hey, there she is, as Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brant Weil as Jared. RuPaul as Mike. Mink Stoll as Nancy. Bud Court as Peter. Melanie Linsky, little baby-faced Melanie Linsky as Hillary. Kathy Moriarty as Mary Brown. And Wesley Mann as, Lo- as Lloyd. And Richard Mole as Larry. I'll also say Dante Basco as Dolph. I we've seen I've seen this once before and I, I forgot he was in this. He plays Rufio in the movie Hook. Yeah. Yep. Which is very cool. That was a childhood staple of mine. Synopsis: A naive teenager is sent to rehab camp when her straight-laced parents and friends suspect her of being a lesbian. What do you think of But I'm a Cheerleader? I love this movie. I've been watching this movie since I was quite young. How young? High school, I think. Hmm. Um, couldn't couldn't tell you exactly what year. Probably the, around the same time I was watching the L Word, 
um, which I think was either like right after finishing high school, but still living at home or like at the tail end of high school. I want to say tail end of high school um, because it was I watched the L word on rented DVDs. Nice. So that kind of puts a timestamp on it, you know? Yeah. Um, And the cast is banging. So good. And this has been a really fun one to revisit over the years because when I watched this when I was younger, I only really knew Natasha Lyonne from American Pie, which like we talked about, we're not really interested in revisiting. Didn't know Melanie Linsky from anything. Um, At the time that I was watching this, I don't think Drag Race was a thing, but if it was, I certainly wasn't watching it yet. Um, Didn't know Mink Stole. Mm -hmm. Knew Michelle Williams, maybe little bit mm-hmm. and i liked clea duvall from the from heroes she was in heroes yeah she's the other cop who doesn't have a power oh shit I didn't know um that. you know the, the one cop can like hear people's thoughts yeah and she's his partner who like believes him shit and then she was also in the hbo show carnival mm. And I, at the time, I probably wouldn't have acknowledged that, like, I had a big crush on her. And that's why I was, <laughs> like, watching all of these things that she was in. But rewatching it now, it's like every year that I rewatch it, there's, like, somebody new that I am seeing. Or not somebody new, but somebody I'm seeing in a new light because of films of theirs I've discovered. So mm-hmm. I showed this to you, I think, for your first time last year. Yeah. Um, right before we started the podcast. And it was my first time watching it since having watched Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy moly, watching RuPaul out of drag in this particular character is hilarious. Mm-hmm. We've been like following Clea Duvall with like the work she did on Tegan and Sarah's show High School. Um, like as a director now making Happiest Season. We really like her. But then rewatching it this time since we've been on a John Waters journey and seeing Mink stole in something that isn't John Waters was so fun. Mm-hmm. And then like Julie Delphi's in it. Like very briefly. Yeah. Um, and I think the last time I watched this, maybe we had just watched the before trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it feels like this movie keeps like opening itself up to me in new ways. And I'm just like so stoked that these actors and people in the film industry who I'm loving and things now were in this banger mm-hmm. so early in their careers. Yeah. I was so happy when you showed this to me for the first time. And I enjoyed it on the first watch, but I feel like on this watch, I appreciated it so much more and appreciated what it meant and continues to mean to so many people. I also think I agree with you. I think that because of our John Waters journey lately, it it helped open my eyes a bit to films like this and yeah, like seeing Mink Stole and having familiarity with her was excellent like I love this the way that I, which I'll, we'll talk about on an upcoming episode where we unpack a bunch of John Waters movies, but I love this the way I love Serial Mom. Yes. Like this movie knows exactly what it's doing. I was reading some like folks who don't like it who were just like, you know, um, conversion therapy is not something to laugh about. And I'm like, this is coming back to the conversation that we had in our like regular episode last week about who is making a movie, who is it about and who is it for? And this, to me, in 1999, this sadly feels revolutionary. Yes. It was made by a queer woman for a queer audience about queer people. And so, yes, conversion therapy is nothing to laugh at. But, like, and it's a serious matter. Mm-hmm. And there's been movies made about that and, you know, activists who do really great work around that. 
but this isn't for a straight audience. Mm-hmm. Like this is for folks in the in group. Yeah. And I love that like Jamie Babbitt didn't care to hold a straight audience's hand. Yeah. And the, the, this type of humor and the satire and how horny and how romantic this is, all of it is our favorite version of comedy. Oh yeah. This movie makes me smile and laugh in equal measure. And, you know, I had a a conversation with a couple of students who watched this last year for their first time. Um, but they'd been wanting to watch it for a long time. And and we had a really good chat about, you know, they're a younger generation and they, they really loved it, which is awesome to hear. Like, I think there's maybe like one part of the film that hasn't aged well. Um, and that's the, uh, character of Jan. I feel like there's a couple things that aren't handled well with her character, Mm -hmm. but this is a film that ultimately is about queer joy. Mm-hmm. which was almost impossible to find in 1999 in a, in a, I, I don't think this movie was mainstream, but in something that wasn't like super underground. Yeah. You know, like most depictions of queer folks ended in death or tragedy. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly tough stuff in this, but ultimately this film is like a middle finger to conversion therapy and, but through humor. Yeah. And to homophobia, but through humor. And you're right. Like, We've been on a John Waters journey. We're going to be releasing a rad rap about a bunch of John Waters movies and then seeing him live mm-hmm. very soon. Um, and I'm I'm just like really in the like humor as revolution. Right yeah. Now. I think it's really, really phenomenal. I agree with you. I, I, I just love it so much. And like Chris, like with Kristen Stewart, we've talked about this on the show. I just love when Kristen Stewart and Cleo Duvall get to be gay. Yeah. It's really nice to just have Cleo Duvall be a gay character and not whatever the hell was happening in the faculty. And like, not just a gay character, but she's out here making all of us blush. God damn it. Oh, Graham is like one of the most crushworthy characters of all time. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting because I don't know if you know this, but this film was not well received critically. Like people said it was a bad movie, like not a well-made movie. Um, And Jamie Babbitt has spoken at length about how she feels there was like an inherent homophobia and sexism to the way that like the film was received. She also is um, featured in this film is not yet rated because the original cut of this film got an NC-17 rating. Which like I this film does not seem like that. Mm -hmm. And so she took out a two second shot of Graham's hand on Megan's clothed body a camera pan of like a fully clothed masturbation scene. And then one like sexual comment, just a verbal comment. And then she got an R rating. This movie is rated R. And it seems like a 14, a to me personally. Oh yeah. I mean, this slots in with other stuff of its time. Like the, she's all that can't hardly wait. Like this doesn't feel that far divorced from it. This is much smarter than those, (laughs) but and more enjoyable now in retrospect, but R-rated? NC-17 and having to like work with the censors to get it down to an R? I mean, they, wild. if it means that they get to cuss a lot more in this... There uh, might be more swearing. I guess I didn't really think about I'm that. I'm for right? that. But NC-17, that, uh, that seems really awful. I agree. It's, it's wild. There is some... In so many ways, this movie is so radical, especially for 1999, but... I was reading some things about it that were really disappointing. 
So one was that Rosario Dawson was in serious consideration for the main role of Megan. Mm. And producers said that a uh, Latina woman could not be an all-American girl. And so she wasn't chosen. I can't, man. I just can't. That's like such a thumbs down. Um, I wasn't able to really hear how much like Jamie Babbitt was a part of that. Um, But I did read that she wanted folks of color to be in the film. Um, And there certainly are a lot of folks of color, but they're all in supporting roles. So that's really disappointing. I think Natasha Leone is great, but I also think Rosario Dawson would have been great. Friggin' love her. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another disappointing part about it is one of Jamie Babbitt hasn't made a ton of stuff, but the other movie that she's made is called Itty Bitty Titty Committee. Mm. And I've always wanted to see it. And it was a film that came up as a potential watch when we had our friend Cassandra on the show a long time ago. And when I was looking into it, I guess it's very transphobic. Uh. Um, And you can see some of that in this, in the character of Jan. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said earlier, that's like the one part of the film I think is clunky and I think isn't funny when they're trying to be funny. Yeah. So that's disappointing. Yeah. It's tough. It, it's tough when those things creep up in older films. That's just, oh man, that's just that one thing that's, you're so close to being perfect. Yeah. But so much of this is so great. And watching this on the big screen, even though I've seen this movie so many times, I like leaned over to you at one point. And I was like, this has some like Tim Burton sensibility. The like, yeah, the like big house and, and the music that's playing. And uh, I ended up reading that these are the specific inspirations that Jamie Babbitt said she had in creating the like visual landscape of the film. Um, she said her inspirations were John Waters films, the visual work of David LaChapelle, mm. the film Edwards is her hands and Barbie. Yeah. Bing, bang, boom. Yeah. Yeah. How can you not want to see that film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. This was, this was such a joy to rewatch, to see in the theater to have so much more familiarity with the people that are in it. I, I, a big highlight for me were the characters of Lloyd and Larry who kind of ran the house that would, that would take in the people that were escaping the true directions rehabilitation house. I just, I really liked their dynamic. I thought they were really sweet and I thought that what they were doing was really sweet. That really stood out for me. So I don't know if you saw this, but um, the actor who plays Larry Richard Mall died this week. No. Yeah. Fuck. He was eighty. That's. Uh, it's, it's yeah. That's sad. So we've lost a lot of people this week. Matthew Perry just died yesterday, as as of this recording. It's always just such a shocking and sad thing, and it feels strange because these people matter to us. And yet we don't personally know them. And mm-hmm. um, Richard Mall died the day, or at least it was um, made public the day after we saw Bunny Mature Leader. So it was very yeah, unintentional man. that we saw this at that time. But his character, I agree with you, those two characters are so beautiful and I think are actually the thesis of the film. Yeah. You know, that there's an alternative to a world that doesn't let you be you yeah and it's a world that does and like it is so fun and cute to love yourself and be yourself yeah and they do it yeah those characters are played so sweetly and i think richard moles so he's got that like john goodman yeah yeah and i i yeah i agree i really like the character a lot so yeah everybody everybody's excellent in this they really turn up 
despite the couple little blips and blobs that are in here, it's a near perfect movie for me. Uh, it's so much fun. And I'll, I'll, I'd watch it every year. Yeah, I, I really, really love it. And I'm glad that you love it, too. Apparently, I haven't watched it yet, but there's a is there is the band Muna Muna M-U-N-A. Yeah, Muna Muna. They have a, a song called Silk Chiffon and Phoebe Bridgers is featured on it where the the music video is inspired by But I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, so fun. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. But the guitarist, Naomi McPherson, said that they wrote the song with the intention of, quote, making a song for kids to have their first gay kiss to. Nice. So I'm very much wanting to uh, watch that video and we'll post a link to it in the show notes. I'd well. like to think that they're when they were sitting down and writing it, they're like, ah, not gay enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think a little harder on that. <laughs> not gay enough. Does it want to make you kiss? We need to go harder at this. That's so great. How did But I'm a Cheerleader make you feel? It always makes me feel a sweet happiness at all the queer joy. Mm-hmm. What about you? Just a deeper love and appreciation for this gem of a film. Those are the Smackaroonies, and these are the dads from said Smackaroonies. Who is your bad dad nominee of the week? I picked Mary Brown from But I'm a Cheerleader. Same. So she's the the head of True Directions, this conversion therapy group. Um, I think what makes her a particularly insidious bad dad is that she believes what she's doing is right. Yeah. And what she's trying to do is change people. And she's very much in this role. She's put in like a parental position. Um, And you can tell that nothing's ever going to change her mind, that she is going to continually try to change who people fundamentally are and think that that's love. Yep. And that's a real problem. Yeah. I echo all that. Um, I'll just add, I mean, she does like, she has this very specific, small, rigid box that every person in society needs to fit into to make the world right in her eyes. And she'll do whatever she can to make everyone squeeze into that little box. Mm -hmm. She can get fucked. Yeah. Mary Brown. Don't don't be be our dad. dad. Um, what? I won't bury the lead. A single movie swept all of my choices this week. My <laughs> rad dad nominee is Lloyd and Harry. Lloyd and Larry. I was like, Harry? Who's Harry? Lloyd and Larry. Uh, I mean, they're just a couple of kind daddies being daddies. They're supportive. They're caring. They're communicative. They're communicative. I love there's a little sequence where their communication kind of breaks down. And then like they <laughs> kind of have an exchange about that breakdown and how they can move forward. Not too dissimilar from us who are people that have been together for a long time. Just being like, can we just hit the reset button? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's okay. We've got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lloyd and Larry are my nominees. Okay, that's absolutely the right choice and, and we're going to pick it. But okay. I put Rex from My Little High. Oh, man. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um. Okay, so he's a total like fuckboy loser chode kind of guy but ultimately when things start going like bananas he is focused on figuring out what's going on and protecting everyone Mm. and he kind of takes on that role of like i don't care if you don't believe me something is going on and i am going to figure it out and like he's leaving nobody behind in that like let's like where is everybody let's all get into the room even though he's like not a particularly likable guy but 
Lloyd and Larry are a much better choice. <laughs> so uh, Lloyd and Larry. Be our dads. dads. And of course we have a bonus, bonus daddy. daddy. It's Graham Eaton. Yeah. Holy but moly. I'm, but I'm a cheerleader. The, Graham is such but a, a babe. But I'm a cheerleader sweeps the dads of the week yeah. this week. Uh, I don't know if we've had that happen before, but uh, what a week to do it, especially to celebrate the passing of Richard Mull, rest in peace, and to celebrate such an important film. But yeah, Graham Eaton, Graham Eaton Clea Duvall, Wheat Woot. Wheat Woot, indeed. Okay, Red Wreck. So if you're not following us on Instagram, you are missing out because we posted on Halloween Day. Mm-hmm. Um, We're recording this before Halloween Day, so this is holding us to it. Yeah, <laughs> it's holding us to it. Uh, several photos that we took in our Halloween costumes where we dressed up as Adam and Dr. Larry Gordon from one of our favorite horror movies of all time, Saw. Also, if you haven't listened to a rad rap on the Saw series, go do Please that. Do. Yeah, it's very good. We made blood and smeared it on ourselves and made a mess in our bathroom um, to make movie accurate wounds, movie accurate blood. And then we went to a friend's house and attempt to take movie accurate photos of some of our favorite like stills from the from the film. So the rad wreck of the week is dress up as characters from movies and then take movie accurate photos in your friend's basements. (laughs) Highly specific rad wreck, but we cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, it's one thing to dress up as characters from something from pop culture. It's another thing to reference very specific shots from those things. It's been cropping up all weekend leading up to Halloween. A24 has been doing a great job. Like there's people dressing up as the people from Beef and replicating photos from that or imagery from that and other A24 properties. It's just like it's so great. And I was so tickled as our buddy Ashley, who was our photographer for our little photo shoot. And and a dedicated photographer, let me tell you. Yeah, just finding the right angles and finding ways to make the photos work. Ah, chef's kiss. So what an excellent ride wreck. What a way to have fun and to continue the, the Halloween season post-Halloween. But thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. As I mentioned off the top, we are dropping a new episode of the Rad Wrap about the Not Your Final Girl series 2023. That's coming out this Sunday, so check it out. You can you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for Salt and Paprika this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.